standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Let us bow in a word of prayer as we begin our second message. Once again, I invite those who are able to kneel with me. Otherwise, let's bow our heads where possible. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, this is my prayer. I pray that thy name be hallowed upon my lips as I present thy holy words. I pray that thy holy name will be hallowed in each of our hearts and that thou will give unto each and every one of us ears to hear what thy spirit is saying unto the church. I pray, Father, that thy kingdom may come. We pray for the return of thy dear son Jesus soon to this earth to bring an end to the sin and misery. But yet we pray, Father, not until every soul that is to be saved hath been saved, until every brand hath been plucked out of the fire, we pray. And Father, I pray that thy kingdom may come and enter into our hearts today. As we gather to hear thy word, may thy holy angels be here with us to lead and guide our minds heavenward by thy spirit. Father, I pray that thou will be present with us together with thy Son, for thou hast promised that where two or three are gathered together in the name of thy Son, Jesus, that thou art present. Father, we ask thy blessing upon us now. Bless our ears that we may have ears that hear, and our eyes that we may have eyes that see. And bless our hearts that they may retain these words in our hearts, that we sin not against thee. For we ask all of these things in the precious name of thy dear Son, and for his honor and glory we pray. Amen. As we begin by looking at perhaps the most important aspect of the daily service that took place throughout the year in the sanctuary service, the burnt offering, we're going to look now at a sister sacrifice that also speaks of redemption and salvation from sin, but helps us understand the nature of sin. And one of the most important lessons that the sanctuary has to teach us is how God deals with sin. He wants us to understand sin in its nature, understand how it works, what it's cost him and what it costs us. And the sanctuary service has a very vivid way to teach us about sin. And one of the primary lessons is given to us in the sin offering. And I know that there may be some here today, thank you, sweetie, who have a question, much like I have had, and that is, when my sin is forgiven, when I have confessed my sin to God, what happens to it? What happens to that sin? Does it disappear? Is it gone from off the records? What happens to my sin? And I'm sure that there are others who have had questions like that. And we will be answering that question today as we look at the sin offering. Now, the sin offering is really in two parts or two offerings. 
There's what is called the sin offering, which you can find in Leviticus chapter 4. But there's also what is known as the trespass offering. It is another sin offering. They are essentially the same, but there are some differences, and we're going to look at them. If you want to look at the uh, reference for the trespass offerings, you can find them in Leviticus chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. Deal with the trespass offering. Now, what is the difference between them? Let's look at them. First, we'll look at the sin offering in Leviticus chapter 4. Let's open our Bibles and read the first two verses of Leviticus chapter 4 and see what the Lord reveals to us concerning the nature of this offering and what it is intended for. Beginning in verse 1, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, So note, you'll see that I have highlighted on the screen that part that I want us to consider in this. What kind of sin is here dealt with? Sin of ignorance. Now, all of us are guilty of this sin. From childhood, we've committed our first sin, though often ignorant of the fact we have come under the condemnation of the law. And the sin offering, what we call the particular sin offering in chapter 4, deals with this kind of sin. It makes provision for it, for that which we have done ignorantly, not knowing, but is yet still sin in God's eyes. How is it to be dealt with? And so the first sin is dealing with sins of ignorance. Let's note now the sin of trespass or the trespass offering. It's found in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What kind of sin is here spoken of? Now, we know that sin is kind of a vague term. Sin can be anything, any type of wrong. But trespass is more specific, more particular. It deals with a kind of sin. When we trespass, it's not ignorant. Notice verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, not ignorantly, he commits it, he does it knowingly. Now, what kind of sin is this? Let's look. And lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor. So what kind of sin is here revealed or spoken of? Conscious sin, knowing when you've done knowingly wrong. We know when we lie. We tell something that's not true and we know it. When we deceive someone, we're either holding, withholding the truth or we're telling a falsehood. So this is the kind of sin that is dealt with here, known sin. When we do something we know is wrong, such as lying or deceiving. And there are other kinds that are specified, but this helps us understand the nature of the trespass offering. It deals with when a man does wrong knowingly. Whereas the sin offering deals with when it is done in ignorance. Both God has made provision for. So don't think just because you've done a sin knowingly that God cannot forgive you. Because the trespass offering makes provision 
for when we have knowingly done wrong. And likewise, if we've committed sin ignorantly, God has made provision for that. But, notice if you'll notice, I don't know if I have it here in my slide, I don't. Let's go back to verse chapter 4. If you don't know you've done wrong, then you simply can't do anything about it. But the sin of ignorance eventually comes to our attention. And when this sin comes to our attention, then we are to bring our offering. So the offering only applies when the knowledge of this sin comes to us. When we recognize or wake up to the fact that, oh, that's wrong. Then God requires the sin offering. Now, he knows we've done it in ignorance. But the moment we become aware of the fact that that was wrong, God then requires an offering to be brought. That offering is called the sin offering. So, the sin offering deals with those things that we are ignorant of. These are the two kinds of sin offerings. And now let's look at the meaning, the significance behind this offering. I want us first to turn in our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27. Same chapter we were just in, the 27th verse. It says, And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty... Verse 28, or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, again we see that here it is brought to his attention, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he hath sinned. And he shall lay, excuse me, lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. So this takes place in the location where the burnt offering was slain. But let's notice a couple things about this sacrifice. And uh, forgive me because I didn't put the references of verses 28 to 29 in there, but they should be included. Notice, his sin comes to his knowledge. He then brings the appropriate animal as a sacrifice. Now, what does he do when he brings that animal? He brings it to the place of the burnt offering, where the burnt offering is slain. And that is before the tabernacle, where the Lord is. So he does it in the Lord's, as it were, in the Lord's presence. He comes before the Lord. He has his offering. He's acknowledging his wrong. He lays his hand upon the head, the animal, signifying that this creature now takes my place. It's a symbol of transference. The guilt that I have is being transferred, as it were, to this creature. It is also a representation of confession. When we confess our sin, that sin is transferred to another. It's transference. And so the laying on of hands represents that transference. It's a connection. I am connected with the animal. The guilt of the sin is being transferred to the animal. It takes my place now. And then the animal's life is taken. By whom? Not by the priest, no. By the man, or the one guilty, woman or man. 
the offender takes the life. And that speaks of who is guilty of shedding the blood of the Son of God. We are. It is our sin that cost the life of the Son of God. The offender is to take that life in symbolically representing that our sin has shed innocent blood. And so this is the representation of the sin offering. But I want you to note, and I, I didn't include it here in my slides, but when the man lays his hand and the transference is made, he then takes a knife, cuts the throat. The priest is there. He has a bowl, and he catches all the blood in that bowl. And as the blood is caught, he takes a portion of that blood into the sanctuary. And he dips his hand in that blood and sprinkles it before the veil seven times. And then he dips his his finger in it and puts it upon the horns of the golden altar of incense. And so the sin is transferred from the animal, from earth as it were, as the courtyard represents earth, It is taken from earth into the sanctuary, which represents heaven. And there is made application of the blood in heaven before God. And so we have in the sin offering transference of sin. God is giving to us in symbol what happens to the sin. It is transferred from us to the animal into the blood. The blood is then shed. That blood is caught And a portion of it is taken in and sprinkled before the Lord. Then afterward, that blood is poured out on the altar, around the base of the altar. Now this represents that not only does the shed blood of Christ provide for the sinner, but it provides for the earth. Christ has redeemed the earth as well. His blood is poured out upon the earth. Just as Christ, when he was hung before heaven and earth, and he had his side pierced, His blood came out upon the earth. The earth also has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so the sin offering helps us understand what happens to the sin. You see the sinner come in, confession as it were, the laying on of hands, the transference of the sin. That sin is then transferred by the priest into heaven. Now, transfer happens one of two ways. I mentioned the first. The blood is taken in, but not in every sacrifice is the blood taken in. But those in which the blood is not taken in, a portion of the creature is given to the priest to eat. And he eats it in the holy place, symboling of Christ taking upon us the sin. And by that, the sin is transferred by him into the holy place. So either way, the sin is transferred from heaven, or from earth, I should say, to heaven by the high priest, or by the priest, both representing Christ. And we'll note this. In 1 John 1, 9, we see the Apostle John helps us understand. We understand confession, don't we? But the question is, what happens to my sin when it's confessed? Well, if we understand the Old Testament type, the figure of salvation, we understand what happens to the sin when it's confessed. 
But we are told that if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It is promised us. God always fulfills his promise. God will always forgive a sin that is confessed. All he requires is confession. And friends, there is no sin too debasing, too horrid, that God cannot forgive it. The only unpardonable sin is the sin unconfessed. That is the only sin God cannot pardon. God can pardon every sin so long as it is confessed. And we must acknowledge our sin before God. Once it is acknowledged, it is transferred to Christ symbolically. Christ took upon him the sin of the world, as we see. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 Notice the language of the Apostle Peter. First Peter 2.24 says, Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So here we see that Jesus took our sin upon him in his own body, just as that creature The sin was transferred to it. It bore it in its body. And it was symbolically transferred. So Christ bare our sin upon the tree. But we often think that our sin vanished there. Popular Christianity will tell you that sin was done away with at the cross. But that's not true. The sanctuary service does not teach us that sin was done away with at the cross, but that sin was transferred at the cross. For after Christ's resurrection, he ascended into heaven to become our high priest, to make application of the blood that was shed. So the sin is transferred by Christ from earth to heaven in the sin offering. Just as the high priest took the blood from earth and entered into the sanctuary, which is a representation of heaven, there to make application of that blood both the priest and the offering representing himself. Christ is here represented as the one officiating, doing the work for us. Notice Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of this in some very poignant language. It's verse 1 of the 17th chapter of Jeremiah. There he says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. And what do you do with a pen of iron? You carve. That's right. You you carve. Anciently, in the time of Jeremiah, they didn't write with ink, pen and ink. Writing was done typically by engraving a pen of iron. Some hard metal or stone, a hard stone was used to etch into the surface of stone usually or of some hard material, wood, uh, clay. Sometimes when it was soft, it was used and then it would harden. But here he's using the language of, of that time The sin of Judah was written with a pen of iron. 
indelibly written, as it were, and with the point of a diamond, emphatic. You know, it's, it's etched in there. And you can write in any, on any material with diamond. Diamond is one of the strongest, hardest materials on, on earth, and it will etch in just about any surface. So it's written with a pen of iron with a tip of diamond or point. It is graven upon the table of their heart. So you see what the altar represents. Where is the sin written? The heart. Where does our sin reside? Does it reside on the outside? No, it resides in the heart. That's where it's written. And upon the horns of your altars. So here Jeremiah is using the, the symbolic representation of the, the sanctuary service to teach us a lesson regarding sin. See, sin enters the heart and there defiles. And so it is with the blood of Christ. When it enters the heart, it purges, it cleanses. The Lord wants us to understand the nature of sin and how it works and how it is to be purged. The sin of Judah, the sin of his people, as it were, was written upon the tables of their heart, as it were, with a pen of iron. God wants us to understand what happened and how was that blood placed? It was transferred, you see. It was transferred upon the altar. Here, by a pen, but it was done by the fingers of the priest. Christ is the one that transfers our sin from earth to heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. It says, But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, of sins every year. What does he mean? What he's talking about, according to the ancient Jewish service, there was a record kept in the sanctuary of every sin. It was either transferred by the priest partaking of that creature, of that sin offering, or by the blood being brought in. A record was kept. A remembrance was made in heaven of every sin that has been transferred. It was transferred by Christ into heaven. So every sin that has been confessed upon him, has, there has been a remembrance made of it in heaven. So don't let anyone tell you that your sin is done away with at the cross. It has been transferred by virtue of the blood of Christ to heaven. And there, atonement will be made. And we will see that in our final presentation this afternoon. But notice, every year, talking about the yearly service, and the yearly service had its offerings, there was the burnt offering, there was the sin and trespass offering, and there were others which we're not going to cover in these messages. But we see with these offerings, with these sacrifices, there was a remembrance made. Every offering, there was a record of that sin that had been confessed and repented of in heaven. And we're going to see shortly what was done with them. Notice also Hebrews chapter 4. Now, it might come as a difficult thing to some, but Christ 
went to heaven with our sins. He entered heaven with our sins upon him still. He's bearing those sins today. Christ is making application of his blood for those sins. And we're going to see in the final presentation what happens to those sins. Does does sin have its final end? Yes, it does. And we're going to see the end of it. But the, the sin offering was the way in which that sin was transferred so that it could be dealt with and atoned for. So notice Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So here we see Jesus The Son of God hath passed where? Into the heavens. Just as anciently the high priest passed the veil into the the sanctuary or the tabernacle. Jesus has entered and he's entered with that blood. The sin. He enters heaven with that to make atonement for that sin. So we see The lesson, in short, regarding the sin offering is the transference of sin. God wants us to know that our sin is still on record. And that has a very important lesson for us to bear. And I'm going to close by sharing that lesson with you. Because I want us to bring the lesson of the sin offering down to a practical level. And Jesus did that for us. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Let's turn there. Actually, before we go there, we'll turn to Matthew 6, verse 12. And then we'll go to the 18th chapter. So first, Matthew chapter 6, read verse 12. Now, this is in connection with the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever realized that Sin is connected, sin and forgiveness is connected with the Lord's Prayer. Let's note what Jesus said, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the word debt is there used to represent sin. Who do we owe a debt to? To Jesus, yes, and to God. When we violate his law, we are in debt. We owe our life. Sin requires the shedding of blood. We are indebted. We owe a debt. And Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, teaches a lesson. As God has forgiven us, so are we to forgive. What does it say? And forgive us our debts or our sins, trespasses, as it's translated in another gospel even as we forgive. So how does God forgive us? In the same manner that we forgive. Did you catch that? Your forgiveness is dependent upon how much you forgive. If you are holding a grudge, God is holding your sin 
in record two. He will forgive you as you forgive. Every transgression against you must be forgiven if you want the free forgiveness of God. Forgiveness comes with a price. We cannot hold a grudge. God has not held a grudge against us. He has freely forgiven our sin. But if we choose to hold on to anything someone has done to us, God has our remembrance there, a record of our sin too. And it will be held on record against us. And one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. So one unforgiven sin that a brother has committed or sister has committed against us is enough to keep us out. It's a sin God cannot pardon. Because Jesus tells us we will be forgiven our debts even as we forgive those indebted to us. And this is an important lesson. And Jesus teaches it in even more poignant language in chapter 18. Let's note it. This is a most beautiful parable. But it teaches a lesson, a lesson that I think Christianity has to a large part totally forgotten. Beginning in verse 23, we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. And then I'm going to bring out the lesson. Jesus says, now you'll notice the context, verse 22. Peter had just asked Jesus, how often shall I forgive my brother? Until seven times. And he thought he was being gracious. You know, should I forgive him seven times? You know, seven was the number of perfection. He thought, surely Jesus is going to be impressed if I tell him seven times. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, I tell thee not unto seven times, but unto seventy times seven. What's seventy times seven? Four hundred and ninety. Do you know what that speaks of? If you go back to Daniel chapter nine, you read there that God said, Seventy weeks are appointed to your people. God gave the children of Israel four hundred and ninety years to turn from their sin. God has long dealt with sin and iniquity. Jesus was pointing him back to God's forbearance with the children of Israel. Be forgiving as God is forgiving, Peter, under 490 times. In other words, keep forgiving. How many times has God forgiven us a particular sin that we've repeated over and over again and yet come to him saying, Lord, please forgive me? He never fails to forgive. He still extends mercy to us. And this is the lesson that Jesus was teaching. But notice, verse 23, Jesus speaks a parable. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. Now this king is a representation of God. Which would take account of his servants. Now his servants would be his ministers, his church, as it were. We might say this parable. King has ministers, right? His servants. We would be those servants if God is the king, correct? God is taking account. We call that judgment. This parable is representation of the judgment. God is making an account of his servants. All the records are being opened. All the books are being opened. Verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, he's looking at the records, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, anyone here know what a talent is? We think of it as a gift, right? An ability. But anciently, a talent was a weight. A weight used 
in order for purchase. It was the largest sum or weight used in calculating uh, money or in transactions. And anciently, they give it varying weights. Some give it between 50 to 60 pounds. Others as much as 100 pounds in weight. Now, this is usually it was calculated by silver, but sometimes by gold. And depending upon which metal you use in calculating this weight, you have an astronomical amount of money that this man owed his, his, his king. Unpayable, as it were. Either in the hundreds of millions or possibly billions in today's means. And how many of us have that kind of money in the bank? In other words, Jesus is trying to teach us it was a sum that he could not pay. 10,000 talents, verse 25, for as much as he had, had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him that debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. That's a paltry sum in comparison. Less than a day's wage. Which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid his hand on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. You see the lesson? Christianity today teaches that when we confess our sins, they're gone. But this parable, Jesus teaches a very different lesson. Was that man forgiven? Absolutely. He walked out of that room free, with no debt. But because he failed to forgive his fellow servant that owed him, he was brought back before that judge. And what that debt that he had been forgiven was then required to be paid. In this parable, Jesus tells us what will happen to us from our Heavenly Father if we forgive, fail to forgive those who have sinned against us. That sin that is in remembrance before God, that record that is in heaven, will be brought out and we will have to pay it to the last penny. Our blood will be shed. Our death will atone for that transgression. In the end, if we fail to forgive. And you see the lesson in the sin offering for us? It's not simply a lesson in the transference of sin, but in forgiveness. 
a lesson in God's forgiveness. God has so freely forgiven us when he sees our plight, that we are completely incapable of transforming our lives, of changing. We are helpless slaves to sin. And God, in compassion, says, I freely forgive you. My son has paid your debt. You are forgiven. Go and sin no more. But if we allow our hearts to be hardened against another because of some trivial sin, trespass against us, God will be wroth. We will be brought before the great judge. But the Lord does not want that to be so for us. He wants that record to remain until it is atoned for. It has been paid for already. He does not want us to pay for it. His son paid for that. It would grieve God's heart to have to cause us and make us to pay for that sin. But unforgiveness will require it. God wants us to learn forgiveness. He wants us to learn his mercy, his compassion. And he's given us the sin offering to teach us that great lesson today. And I want us to go away from here, having learned what it means to forgive. Learn what God's mercy has done for us. That if God should bring to our attention some bitterness, some held-up resentment in our heart against another. God wants to take that from you today. He wants the price that has been paid for that to be paid. He does not want you to suffer for that. The Lord wants to take not only that burden, but that mental and emotional burden from you. Because it's that bitterness that will eat away your own heart as a canker and destroy the peace that God wants you to have, the joy that he wants you to have. He wants you to know the peace of heaven, but it can only come when there is a complete offering, when a complete sacrifice is made, and all that is in our heart is laid upon that altar, including our own grievances against others. And if that's your desire, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, and you know, and he's revealed to you that there's some resentment in your heart or some unforgiven trespass against another, I want to invite you to kneel with me and allow the Lord to take that burden from you today. Shall we kneel in a word of prayer where possible? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, I thank thee for giving unto us that sanctuary service, allowing these things to be written on record for us, even in a day when these things are not done on a daily basis. We do not have these, these services before our eyes, as did the children of Israel of old, to be a constant reminder. But thou hast given us thy word. We have on record these things, that we might learn the important lessons there for us. And dear Father, I pray that we might learn the lesson of the sin offering today, the lesson of sin and its transference and the lesson of forgiveness. How great thou hast been, how patient, forbearing, and merciful thou hast been to forgive us freely all that debt. 
all that we have done to thee and to our fellow men. Thou hast freely forgiven us. And Father, I, I pray for those here, if there be one here who has yet an, an unconfessed or unforgiven trespass in their heart against their fellow men. I pray, Father, that thou will give them grace to surrender that offense today, that a, that price may be paid, that there may be full peace and joy in their heart, knowing of their own salvation. And I pray, Father, that thy spirit will come into our hearts and bring that peace. And I pray, Father, that we might know that peace today, that if there is one here who has not known the peace of full and free forgiveness, that they might know it today, that they might know the joy of heaven and they might know it in their own soul, that they might, as it were, taste of thee to know how good and truly gracious thou art. May thy blessing, Father, be upon thy people today. And I bless thee and thank thee for the lesson that thou hast given us, for hearing and answering our prayer. For we ask all of these things in the precious name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions